Hello everybody, this is the seventh sermon in our series looking at what is our mission. Today we are looking at public service. There are a few passages we're going to look at. Deuteronomy 4 verses 5 to 8, Jeremiah 29 verses 4 to 13, and 1 Peter 2 verses 11 to 17. A couple of weeks ago, I read an article on the BBC New website that really inspired me. It was an interview with the new finance secretary for the Scottish government, Kate Forbes. Alongside being an MSP, Kate Forbes is a Christian. She was raised in India by parents who were serving there as missionaries, and she is an active member of the Free Church. In the interview, Kate confessed to at times being guilty of tiptoeing around her faith. She felt that the public would be quick to stereotype and condemn her. Yet that did not stop Kate being very open about what she believed. Listen to this direct quote. To be straight, I believe in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for me, he saved me, and that my calling is to serve and to love him and to serve and love my neighbours with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. So that for me is essential to my being. Politics will pass. I am a person before I was a politician, and that person will continue to believe that I am made in the image of God. Kate then went on from there to talk about how she went about her role as a politician. She recognised that she has a responsibility to serve all of her constituents regardless of any difference in belief. Here is another direct quote from the article. Some of them will agree with my politics. Others will disagree. Some will agree with my faith. Others will disagree. I have a duty to represent them. But neither do I want to deceive my constituents, and I think being straight with them about my faith, about who I am, about my background, is really important. Now, I'm not telling you to vote for Kate's party. All I want to say is that this article did Kate Forbes a lot of credit and was a wonderfully positive example of a Christian in public service. It did not shy away from the challenges Christians face when they enter the workplace, but it clearly demonstrated the importance of Christians being there and the contribution that they can make for the betterment of people's lives and the furtherment of God's kingdom. On Sunday evenings, we are following a series on mission. We're asking the most important questions that human beings ever ask. What on earth are we here for? What is our purpose in life? As believers in God, what is he calling us to do and be a part of? The simple truth of the matter is that the vast majority of Christians are not ministers or overseas missionaries. In fact, only a very small percentage are in paid employment by a church or a Christian organisation. Instead, most Christians live in the everyday world of work, making a living, raising families, paying taxes. Day by day, they contribute to society and culture by getting steadily along and doing their bit. So what is their mission in life? Is it just to raise enough money from their salaries to put in the offering basket and fund the professionals who have a real mission from God? 
Sadly, this is the assumption that many Christians make about day-to-day living. Many of us have completely separated the sacred and the secular in life. We have fallen into thinking that God is not interested in the public square, the marketplace, the affairs of state. That the only thing going for the arena of work is that it can be a place for evangelism and inviting people to church. Somehow we think that God only really cares about getting people to heaven, not how society is conducted on earth today. If as we listen to this introduction we're realising that this is how we think, I hope this sermon is going to be a massive challenge to us. Because the Bible says that nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible shows us that God is intensely interested in the public arena of human social, economic and political life. In fact, he is interested, involved, in charge and full of plans for it. God cares so much about the public square, he calls people like Kate Forbes directly into it. A calling just as real and just as important as my calling into full-time ministry. Before we go any further then, let us briefly sketch out what the Bible says about life and work in public. The very first thing that the Bible says about the public world of work and society is that God created it. The Bible is very clear, all things were created by God and for God, and everything that exists does so by his permission. That includes the economy, markets, government buildings, factories, hospitals, schools and shops and all that work in them. When the Bible describes creation in the opening chapters of Genesis, it also makes something clear about God. God himself is a worker. Genesis tells us that God thinks, he makes choices, he executes plans and he evaluates all that has taken place. God is then a worker. Genesis then goes on to tell us that God made us human beings in his image. Therefore, by direct logic, we must be workers too. As the creation account goes on, that proves to be exactly the case. Human beings were made to tend and look after creation. We were made to harvest and distribute all the resources that God has provided and ensure that everyone has enough. What this means then for the 95% of you listening to this who have never been in paid ministry, your work is still valuable to God and he specifically made you to do it. You may be in a tourist industry helping people to get some much needed rest. You may be a teacher charged with bringing up the next generation. You may be in healthcare, improving people's lives. You may be in construction, providing us all with shelter. You may be a farmer, growing crops and caring for animals. You may be a shop worker, distributing God's bounty into our possession. You may be a politician or local councillor, ordering society for the benefit of us all. Work is not a bad thing. God is a worker and he made us to work. He even wants us to enjoy our work, however menial we believe it to be. Work is good, and we were created with the talent and ability to do it. The second thing the Bible says about the place of work and wider society is that God audits it. Most of us in the world of work will know what an auditor is. I had many audits when I was in the construction industry. Auditors provide independent scrutiny of a company or charity's activity. 
To do this, they're given access to all the documents and files. They get to see all the evidence of what an organisation has been up to. There are no secrets from a good auditor. The Bible says that God acts like this towards the public square. Prophets like Amos uh, surprised many in Israel when they stated that God was more interested in how his people behaved in society than he was in how they behaved in church, or the sanctuary of the temple as it was at the time. What this means is that the public square is not a godless place. We do not leave God when we go to work and come back to him again at church on a Sunday. All of creation is God's and he's present throughout it. Nothing bypasses his attention or interest. The third thing that the Bible says about the public square is that God is involved in it. More than that, God governs it. Sometimes when we speak about the economy, we talk about market forces. By that, we mean things that happen in life that are beyond our control. Events like the banking crisis of 2008. But the Bible has a much more subtle view of all that takes place in the world. Public life is made up of millions of human decisions. Therefore, human beings are responsible for the society they live in. If we want to change it, it's up to us to go and do it. However, that said, above all those millions of individual human decisions sits the sovereignty of God. In and through everything, God is at work ensuring that his good purposes come to be. We see this so often in the Bible. God let Joseph be treated terribly by his brothers. Why? So he could bring them, him to Egypt where he would save the whole country from famine. God let the Assyrians and the Babylonians attack Israel. Why? So he could discipline his people and get them back on track. Even as Babylon had Israel in exile, he raised up Daniel to speak for him in the courts of the king. I could go on and on all night. We cannot reject society as godless, beyond hope, or not worthy of our effort if God reigns as king over it. To do so is to deny God something which is rightfully his. As Abraham Kuyper once wrote, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And if that is true, then every single one of our workplaces and spheres of influence has importance in God's sight. So God created the workplace, he audits all that goes on there, and he reigns above it, assuring his purposes come to be. There is one final thing the Bible has to say about the public square. God is redeeming it. Hopefully, through everything we've said so far, we have a much more positive attitude towards society. That's right and good. But that is not to deny that society in the workplace is also shot through with sin. Many things take place which are not good at all, and we have to be wise and aware of that fact. It's fair to say that there are some jobs in the world that are so immoral that Christians should not be doing them. But the Bible is very clear. God does not look at the sin of his world and decide he wants to do away with it. Rather, his heart breaks for the world and he wants to save it. Again, our wider theology is important here. As Christians, we do not believe that God is in the process of whisking us all off and away from earth to heaven. 
Rather, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back to earth. Heaven is coming here. The eternity that Christians look forward to is not God destroying everything he previously made and starting again with a blank canvas. Rather, eternity will begin with God cleansing and sanctifying all that human civilizations have accomplished down through the centuries. If you remember back to the first sermon in this series, we read an important verse from the end of Revelation. John foresaw the day when the kings of the earth would travel into the heavenly city, bringing their splendour with them. It's a bit like the Magi bringing their very human gifts to the baby Jesus. What this means is that everything we do day by day, with our creative talents and in the world of work, contributes to that which God will one day redeem and include within his new creation. We do not know exactly how this will work, but it means there is eternal value to that which we do day by day, providing it is good, a blessing to others, and done consciously in the sight of God. So the Bible tells us that God created the public square, he audits the public square, he rules over the public square, and one day he will redeem it. There is a lot for us to get our head around there. But suffice it to say, the everyday work of work and society is important to God. Not just because it's a venue for evangelism, but because God is interested in it, in and of itself. There can never be a place then for Christians to hold to a sacred-secular divide, where we think what happens in church is more important than what happens the other six days of the week. Every single one of us listening to this then must also have a mission from God, a purpose and a calling to live for him in the places we find ourselves day by day. That then leads us to one final question that I want us to tackle in this sermon, and that is this. What then does missional engagement in the public square look like? What is it that we as ordinary human beings are to be doing day by day? Now, I want us to get really practical, to cut to the nitty gritty. And to do this, I'm going to take us on a whistle-stop tour of the three passages we read together. The first thing Christians are to do in the public square, no matter where they find themselves, is to live an attractive life. We've already said quite a lot about this in this series. We had a whole sermon focused on holiness. But let's just remind ourselves. In Deuteronomy 4, God was giving instructions to his people just before they entered into the promised land. There they would be living amongst people from pagan nations. God's message was clear. He wanted Israel to obey his instructions. But just listen again to the reasons why. Verse 5. Observe my laws carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In God's word, we have instructions that are relevant to every single area of our lives. If we live by them, we will truly stand out. Our actions and attitudes will invite comparison, people will ask questions, and will then have the opportunity to share about God. We are then to live an attractive life for the Lord amongst the world. What does this mean in practice? Well, it might mean only claiming expenses that you're duly entitled to. It might mean refusing to take shortcuts and being honest about costs. 
It might mean refusing to join the gossip in the staff room. It might mean treating consumers with compassion and giving them a generous benefit of the doubt. It might mean operating finances to give money away to charity as well as lining shareholders' pockets. There will be a myriad of ways to live an attractive life in the world of work. The second thing that believers can do is to live seeking the prosperity and peace of our society. This is the teaching of the Jeremiah passage that we read together. Jeremiah 29 has one of the most loved promises of the Bible in it. Verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I bet we've all pinned that verse up sometime in our lives. What most people don't know about that verse is the context in which it comes. God has just said a big fat no to his people. Israel had just been taken in exile to Babylon. Understandably, they wanted to go home to be immediately rescued from the city. But shockingly at the time, God said no. In fact, he effectively said, I want you here. I've got plans for you in this city. In the message from Jeremiah, God asks his people to build houses, plant gardens and settle down in Babylon. They had to marry off their sons and daughters and have families there. It's fair to say that this was the last thing the Israelites wanted to hear. But then God gave them the reason for his instruction. Verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The Jews were to work for the peace and prosperity of the place they'd been carried to. They were to pray for the new country they were in. Just imagine that. Praying for your enemies, loving your captors. But that is what God wanted, because his desire was to bless Babylon as well as Israel. The Bible is full of stories where people are called to serve foreign powers and end up being a vehicle for God's blessing. Again, we can think of Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon. But what about Esther in the harem of the king of Persia as well? Like Israel and Jeremiah, none of these people found themselves in a particularly good situation. But they accepted that God was still in control and sought to serve and bless those around them. They worked constructively for the betterment of the society they lived in while maintaining their integrity. In some ways, we as Christians feel in exile in 21st century Britain. Kate Forbes expressed some of that when she admitted she felt pressured to tiptoe around her faith. We no longer live in a place governed by all the values we would like. But that does not mean we should retreat into our own little enclave. We should not spend our whole time just condemning the world. Instead, we should try to bring peace and betterment to it. Kate Forbes is trying to do that through politics. We can do it in our workplaces and spheres of influence too. Let's always be thinking, how can I be a person of peace here? How can I make the lives of others better? What can I be praying for, the people I live and work amongst? Finally, living in the public square will at times require both submission and resistance. This comes from the 1 Peter passage. Living in the world today, it's not always easy to know what to do in any given ethical situation. The Bible mirrors this difficulty. On the one hand, Peter asks us to submit to those in authority over us. 
This is to prevent foolish talk and the church getting a bad name. After all, if we believe that God has a hand in bringing governments to power, then we are at times to follow their advice. In today's world, that means it is right for us to pay taxes, to follow the coronavirus restrictions for the safety of the wider community and to keep the law. But Peter also sets the boundaries for our submission. In verse 14, he says we are to obey governments only while they're using their authority to bring justice to wrongdoing and are concerned to do what is right. What this means is that there may be times when we're called to resist, to stand up for what is right, even if that might result in a backlash. Being practical then, a Christian should try and make life easy for their bosses at work. They should try and help them to have a good day. But they should also be prepared to speak out about bad practice, to blow the whistle when integrity is brought into question. In this way, they'll be protecting vulnerable others. We've covered a lot of ground in this sermon. I hope it's been helpful. Above all, I hope we all now have a sense of value. Every single one of us has a mission. Every single one of us has a calling. God is interested in the public square and he wants us to live for him in it. I want to finish with a quote from Chris Wright, who has written powerfully on this topic. May this be an encouragement to us all. Your daily work matters because it matters to God. It has its own intrinsic value and worth. If it contributes in any way to the needs of society, the service of others, the stewardship of the earth's resources, then it has a place in God's plans for his creation and in the new creation. And if you do it conscientiously as a disciple of Jesus, bearing witness to him, being always ready to give an answer to those who inquire about your faith, and being willing to suffer for Christ if called to, then he will enable your life to bear fruit in ways you may never be aware of. May that be so for us here on Isla.